You're listening to the Eagles Insider Podcast. Now here's your host, Chris McPherson. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to another edition of the Eagles Insider Podcast. Chris McPherson here. Please be joined by the one and only Fran Duffy. Hey, guys. And Alex Smith. Hi, everyone. It is the Thanksgiving week edition of the podcast, and obviously the week didn't get off to the great start after a lackluster, disappointing 45-17 to defeat at the hands of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. A shock to the system, to say the very least. Going into this game, I felt that the Eagles would rebound. I liked the matchup, both offensively and defensively. But credit Jameis Winston for a phenomenal performance. Five touchdown passes. Doug Martin, 235 yards on the ground. Third most allowed to an individual player in Eagles history. And And he had the record twice, and he lost it twice. True. That's true. He was up to 240 at one point, I believe. Someone said 240. It was was 24 carries for 240 yards at one point. 10 yards a carry. Yeah. Lost it twice, but... It's a lot of disappointment, a lot of frustration. This is the time, and I said this on the postgame show, presented by Rico, with Ike Reese on Sunday. And this is the time of year when the good teams start to separate themselves from the pack. This is the time when it's not the playoffs, but playoff atmosphere football really starts to set in. You know, Thanksgiving is kind of, you know, for teams like Bill Belichick and the Patriots, like they'll say Thanksgiving is when the season really gets underway. And I just remember going back to last year at this time at Thanksgiving. It was the highest moment of the season when they routed the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I believe they were 9-3 and three at that point. Yep, Everything was set up for them in the final quarter of the season. We all know what happened, but it's just like ever since that last Thanksgiving, things have just not gone the Eagles' way. And now maybe this, this Thanksgiving matchup with the Detroit Lions changed things. I don't know. But I'm at the point where you can't talk about you know long-term you know, effects of the season, you know, look, the Eagles still, do they mathematically have a chance? Yes, but I need to see. We need to see something at this point. And I feel like this is such a big week for the team because I still saw effort out there. As, as bad as that score was, if you watch the tape, if you watch, the players were still giving effort. But you want to see, can they rally together as a team? Going to Detroit this uh, Thursday against a team that, look, they're at home. They've won two games in a row. Detroit, very similar to the Eagles. Look, Detroit was 11-5 and five a year ago. You know, this was a team that nearly should have beaten the Dallas Cowboys in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They've gone through their early season turmoil. The, the general manager and president have, were fired. But again, they've bounced back to win two games in a row. They beat the Packers at Lambeau for the first time in almost a quarter century. And uh, they beat the Raiders, an up-and-coming team last week. So It's not going to be an easy game. No. Well, That's at, at sure. this point, at this point... Those games, when you go back to April and you say, you play the schedule game, uh-huh. win-loss, 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 you got to throw that out the window at this point with this football team. You can't yeah. say, oh, that's going to be a win. It's all about, they just got to go out there and play this game. So we have a great show for you. Our three-and-out segment, we're going to just each take a segment. I, I'm going to take a big-picture approach. Fran and Alex are going to take more of a you know look at the actual game from Sunday itself. The interview, a player who we're very thankful for this year in linebacker Jordan Hicks. We talked about his rehab, the draft process, his amazing rookie season, you know, his development, just a phenomenal, phenomenal chance to catch up with him. We haven't really heard from him since he suffered that season-ending injury against Dallas. Enemy intel, a look, a detailed X's and O's look at the Detroit Lions. Alex, what do we have in store for game time this week? We have a game called MI Lion, and it will feature a prominent matchup between the Eagles and Detroit Lions. Okay. Behind the scenes... Brian Thomas and Chris Stevens, as always. Doing a great job today, guys. You know, make sure. You like that! You like that! I like the podcast, and I hope that you will like it as well. Wherever you consume podcasts, make sure to subscribe, whether it's iTunes or Stitcher. Just not liking the football team at this exact moment. So let's transition. Uh, We're going to go into three now and hash out some of the things with this Philadelphia Eagles football team in our segment, Three Now. One, two, three, three. Three is a magic number. Three! Three! Now it's time for three and out. All right, speaking of three and outs, it is the third annual Philadelphia Eagles Healthy Online Food Drive taking place right now through the end of November. We are encouraging Eagles fans and community members to help us tackle hunger this holiday season. You can make a donation at yougivegoods.com and then enter the keyword Eagles. A couple years ago, this was the first ever food drive where supporters could donate nutritious goods online. 
and a year ago, more than 3,200 pounds of fresh produce and healthy food items were donated to those in need. So again, yougivegoods.com, keyword, eagles. All right, so to wade into three and out here, I'll let you guys start things off because you're going to go more game-specific. And, you know, uh, we'll let Alex. Alex wants to look at the offense Starting with quarterback Mark Sanchez, so uh, we'll we'll let you get things going here. Since it, we're really tying into the uh, the number three here, okay. third annual food drive, three and out. So we'll go with number three, Mark Sanchez, to start things off here. And obviously, it was the big story all week long. You know, was Sanchez going to play? Was Bradford going to be healthy? And I think most people probably had an idea that Sanchez was going to be the guy. Now we've seen him run the offense before. We saw what he could do last year, and he had that big first outing against Carolina last year after he came in against Houston and helped uh, the Eagles win that game. He had that big first start against Carolina, and you were hoping that you know, hey, another NFC South team. It's another home game. Maybe he could come out with that same kind of energy, and he did on that first drive five of five to start for 67 yards he finds josh huff on the 39 yard pass obviously huff did a lot of the work on that with a a really nice catch and run but you saw you know what you wanted to see out of sanchez the offense was running quick it was crisp the passes were where they needed to be but you know unfortunately things kind of deteriorated from there and some of those you know mistakes that we've seen out of sanchez in the past kind of came up again and I went back and I looked back at his three interceptions that he threw yesterday and Fran I'm sure you'll maybe you'll touch upon these a little bit later on when you talk about the self-inflicted wounds for this team I think the first one probably came in the worst situation because it was 28-14 Tampa at that point but the Eagles were driving it was the end of the first half and you figure if the Eagles could get it back to within seven at the end of the half who knows what could happen in the second half time was running out there right around I think they're around midfield the 40 yard line and Sanchez just made a bad decision picked off by Levante David not a great throw second interception again I think Sanchez didn't really have his feet set he was kind of flat-footed when he threw it and Chris Conti came away with the pick on the overthrow and then the last one it's tough to assign blame on that last play you know Obviously, Darren Sproles stopped because he saw Levante David coming in. Sanchez thought that Sproles was going to keep going, and it ends up being probably the easiest pick six that Levante David will ever get. So I think you saw some good things with Sanchez early on, but I think the unfortunate thing is that he kind of reverted back to that turnover-prone quarterback, which unfortunately we've seen in his time here at Philadelphia. And, you know, it was a tough thing to see. I think we all agree, and you just said it. We kind of know what Mark Sanchez is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's the reason why when you go out and you get Sam Bradford, why was Sam Bradford the starter from day one? We, we know because the physical tools, he's got the ability you know, to stretch the field and do some different things mm-hmm. you know, for this offense as opposed to what San- Sanchez brings. He's able to do the tempo. He's able to keep it a couple times in the read option. We saw that for a couple games. But you know, people talk about the read option, and they're, and they're so worried about oh, well, the quarterback's threat to run. They know. The coaches know, that, okay, Sam Bradford's not a threat to run, so what do mm-hmm. they do? They put different routes and different concepts on the back end so that when he does read it, it's not the threat of Bradford running. It's the threat of Bradford keeping it and then throwing the football to the backside that kind of, you know, that holds that backside defender. But, right. but yeah, I, I agree. I mean, there were some ups and downs last week with, uh, with Sanchez for sure. I think the biggest thing is once you're down 20 to 14, you know that you have to throw in. It was 35, 14 because it was the first possession of the second half that egregious 10 minute drive oh. or nearly 10 minute drive. That drive took say. forever. You know, by that point, the Eagles knew they had to throw the football, and that's a situation you don't want with Sanchez in. As your quarterback to the screen pass, you know, I think that's a situation where a quarterback is inviting the pressure, mm-hmm. and he's got to make a touch throw into an area, and it's just something I heard Ike Reese explain, and the quarterback is not blind to it, but it's a difficult throw because you're just trying to make sure it gets past that wave of pressure, right. but you're expecting the running back to be there. And on top of it, Sproles isn't the tallest guy in the world. We all know this. So typically maybe you're throwing that to a 5'10", 5'11", running back. Well, you know, Sproles is listed at 5'6", 5'7". So obviously you have to account for that part of it, but also the fact of the matter is that he was expecting Sproles to continue out. But it's something that, look, they went to the sidelines, they worked it out. It's over with. It's not that big of a deal. Um, Yeah, I think that's getting blown out of proportion a little bit because from my perspective, you don't want to see guys, you know, jawing at each other but at the same time if the guys are completely emotionless and you know it's just like another thing you that can't happens. win you can't win it's right. oh they show no emotion well right. now they're fighting on the sidelines yeah right. it, it was just obviously horrific. guys get heated it, it was just a terrible day overall exactly you know it's just one of those things that happens and you know i think i'd rather see guys be fired up over a bad play than just to say you know just to shrug their shoulders and move on to the next play yeah, no question. And this kind of takes us into what I wanted to talk about was the self-inflicted wounds for sure, but then also just the missed opportunities, not just offensively, but defensively as well. Look, 
final score of the game, it wasn't close. But when you go into that first half and you saw, okay, they were kind of going back and forth, trading scores. Then Tampa Bay jumped up 28-14 on a lot of those early drives, both offensively and defensively. The Eagles had chances to kind of keep the, the Bucks at bay, whether it was, you know, third and one jumping off sides. And now, okay, you're extending the drive that way. Michael Kendricks on the very first drive of the game, it was second and eight, excuse me. He explodes into the backfield, has Doug Martin wrapped up for a three or four yard loss. Instead, it, it turns into a five yard gain and now it's third and three instead of third and third and 13. Mm-hmm. You know, just different opportunities like that. You have the ball that goes through Malcolm Jenkins' hands on the goal line, the ball that goes through Connor Barwin's hands on the goal line. Both those happened in the first half. Both times the Bucks scored on the very next play. So instead of a red zone turnover, you've got seven points for the other team. So just opportunities defensively, offensively. Look, I mean, there was the the incompletion down the down the sideline to Selleck. The very next play, there was an incompletion to Ertz down the left seam. There was a, a after it was the drive after Sproles had scored on the screen pass. They had the same exact play dialed up in the same exact area of the field with no one in front. I mean, he yeah. had three blockers with you know forty yards of green space in front of him, and it was just slightly overthrown because he had pressure in his face earlier than he would have liked. You know, and, and it fell incomplete. I mean, there was just opportunities where they could have kept the game from getting out of hand and they just weren't able to do it and then you know the bucks jumped on us you know and that's just kind of how it went the second half it was just the eagles trying to play catch up and c-mac like you said you don't want to be in that situation right now with where the team is at this point just it obviously got ugly it's interesting how you see a snowball effect like that yeah that there's a couple plays here and there makes all the difference but still the fact of the matter is that execution that e-war keeps popping up and that's why Chip Kelly during his press conferences, both after the game and on Monday, was basically saying to the effect of, look, we lost the game. We were outplayed. We were outcoached. We're going to move on. And I know fans are upset to hear that. Well, how did you just move on? You just got embarrassed. 45-17 to 17 at home to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers of all teams. Sure. But as Chip Kelly will say, you can't let that game beat you twice. You just have to say, look, they lost. They've got to try to learn from it and try to get on to Thursday. My approach here from this game, you know, we go into what happened offense and defense. Just big picture, I think everyone is starting to speculate about what's going to be happening to this team down the line. And to me, the biggest thing that when I was just thinking about this game and a lot of people were wondering, you know, from the personnel standpoint, coaching, what's going to happen, it's you have to, in, in some instances, have some sustainability with this organization you have to be able to you know go into season you made all the changes from the quarterback to the running backs you know bring in some free agents and at the end of the year we'll see where this team stands but if certain things don't work out you can't just completely throw the baby out with the bathwater, as chip kelly likes to say you can't blow it all up no you can't blow it all up you know you look at a lot of the good teams and it's you have some kind of you have a program that you know, has some consistency that you're able to take in from year to year and that you're able to keep some of those key pieces and allow them to build together. The biggest thing for me is I just hope that there's not an overreaction at the end of the season that if things don't go the way that we had envisioned them going back in August in the preseason or, or when the season started, when there were these huge aspirations, I just hope that at the end of the year, it's not like, well, we'll just blow everything up and, and reset again. It's you, I understand that you got to take some risks. I mean, that's pretty much what the whole offseason a year ago was, that you're going to have to take some gambles. You know, And I'm basically looking at the quarterback position here because a lot of people will say, well, if this move for Sam Bradford doesn't work out in the end, was the trade worth it? Well, you had to you make had to something. Do it. You have to, you're trying to get that guy. Yeah, And no I question. saw the talent, and hopefully Sam can get healthy. He can get back on the field down the stretch and show some things. But, you know, we'll have a lot of time to discuss it. But I think a lot of people are starting to go toward that because they think the prospects for for the season are bleak at this point. But they just need to get things back together, get a win. It just we can't get to the point where it's like we need to start all over. I wrote about this on Monday. By the time you guys are listening to this podcast, my column on Monday will have been out. So uh, I wrote about this on Monday. And it really, I can't help but think, and don't get my words twisted, I can't help but think when looking at where we're at right now, four and six, I can't help but think back to 2011 when the team started four and eight. Obviously, we're two games away from, you know, whether that record's the same or, or different. We can't help but, obviously, the, the team's in a rut. They were four and eight, and they were able to come together, and those guys, and we, we know how it ended in 2012, but I'm just saying in that season, they were able to come together. They won the last four games, went into the offseason with some optimism, 
this team obviously has the ability to do much more than that. They have the ability to, if they're able to get things together Thursday against Detroit, you're still only one game out. If you can do that same thing that that 2011 group did in terms of coming back, you know, turn the corner, move past what just happened for the last two weeks. There's two tough losses. That overtime uh, Monday Night Football win against Dallas seems like forever ago at this point just because of the last two weeks. But, you know, you move past that rebound and now let's just see what this team can do down the stretch uh, it's going to come down to the guys in the locker room I, I think more so than what the coaching staff can do what from an x's and o's standpoint and from a game planning perspective i think it's more about the guys in the locker room and really just what is this leadership on this team right now all right so that's going to do it for us on three and out now let's transition into the interview with rookie linebacker jordan hicks And now it's time for what you've all been waiting for, the interview. On this Thanksgiving week edition of the Eagles Entire Podcast, I figure I have to bring in someone who we're thankful for this holiday season, and none other than third-round pick Jordan Hicks. Jordan, we haven't seen you in a little while since you had the injury. Uh, Tremendous rookie season, obviously cut short by the injury. Can you take me back to when you got here to NovaCare and you got the news that you had suffered the torn pectoral muscle and that your season was over. What was your initial reaction? Yeah, it's tough um, going through something like that. Um, but for me, it wasn't the first time I'd ever been through something like that. You know, I've, I've had a few injuries in my past that have cut my season short. Um, obviously, it hurts. You know, you don't want to have to um, cut the season short and, 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 you know, get out of that rhythm that you're, you know, really just starting to get into halfway through the season. Um and it's disappointing, but at the same time, you know, I can look back and um, really, you know, take a take a step back and, and just ponder and, and, and realize, you know, all that I've done up to this point and um, how I'm going to get better going going forward. And, you know, it's it's now it's all mental. It's got to be all mental for me since there's no physical. You mentioned how you've had previous injuries. Does that make it any harder in the sense that I've got to go through rehab again or is it easier knowing that you have what it takes physically and mentally to do it. No, it's it's definitely easier. Um, <laughs> I've had an Achilles, you know, and that, I mean, that was rough. You know, I, I was in a, a bad place mentally, bad place physically, you know, just completely tore me down. And, um, you know, I was able to bounce back, have a great season, you know, my senior year and um, come in here and do what I did uh, this past year. And, you know, it, it's encouraging to see that. And it's it, it just gives me the mindset that, you know, this is so easy compared to everything that, that I've been through. You know, that this is, you got to be crazy to think this is going to stop me. What have the past few weeks been like for you? Slow. Very, very slow. You know, you go from being 100 miles an hour in the, the mix of things to, you know, dialed down to zero. You know, I can't do anything. I'm not allowed to, you know, really sweat. I'm not, you know, allowed to. Uh, shower when I want to, you know, there's certain times when I can shower, there's certain times like, you know, it's, it's a, it's one of those things where everything is so controlled now. Um, and it's out of my, out of my control, um, which, you know, obviously is, is tough on a lot of people, um, especially for me. So, you know, it's just it's getting used to the, you know, the new lifestyle, I guess, of, you know, being the injured guy. You've still been out there on the practice fields and I'm assuming in the meeting rooms, as well, things of that nature. How important has it been for you to stay around the team, to stay visible, to stay mentally in the football mix, even though you're not going to go out there and play on Sundays? Yeah, it's huge, man. It's it. Uh, I love football. You know, it, it, whether I'm playing or not, you know, it's something that I love to do, love to be a part of, uh, being a part of a team. You know, this this whole environment here, um, and it's huge. You know, you, it keeps you. Uh, positive, you know, being around this, it keeps you motivated to to push to get back to where you were and to to get better um, during this time. So, you know, it's been huge for me. I, I, I like I said earlier, it's it's more mental now. Um, so, you know, I'm taking notes. I'm still studying film. I'm still doing everything like I'm playing the game. You know, just obviously when I'm out there, I'm not going to be playing. Do you realize how you've become a folk hero of sorts as a rookie because of your two performances against the Dallas Cowboys where, A, you knock out Tony Romo for a majority of the season, and then, B, you have the pick six, which helped got the big win down there in Big D. <laughs> yeah, it's um, 
it's 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 pretty cool. Uh, it's, Philly's one of the you know is the best city with the best fans. You know, and you know it's it's cool. You know, one thing I've I've said since I've gotten here is that I want I want to prove myself. I want to prove myself to my teammates. I want to prove myself to the league. I want to prove myself to the city. You know, and that's. And, you know, I, I feel like I've done everything that I can, you know, and, and looking back and, you know, I've, I, there's plays I missed out there. There's plays I left out on the field that I wish I could have back. But that's every, you know, every player is going to say that. Um, but what I have done is I've given my all. I gave everything I had, um, you know, and, and studied as hard as I could and, and tried to go out there as prepared as I could and, and play as hard as I could. Yeah. Did you call your interception return for a touchdown a hick six? <laughs> pick six? I, I heard that. <laughs> Hicks pick six is what is what uh coach had, had had you know called it a couple days later. But <laughs> should have threw up the horns though, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Coming into this season season, Jordan, we kept hearing from coaches that, you know, you've got D'Amico, you got Kiko, you got Michael. Jordan's gonna come along and learn. And us on the outside maybe surprised by what you did on the field as a rookie in your estimation why shouldn't have we been surprised but why what you were able to accomplish just everything I'd faced in the past um it's made me who I am uh, my college career uh wasn't necessarily the college career that I expected I, I honestly believe I, I went through a lot more than the average um you know student athlete at a university I, I had Four different position coaches, four different D coordinators, um, two different head coaches. You know, I had trouble on the field and, you know, with injuries. I had trouble off the field. You know, there was there was a lot of things that I had to overcome and learn from. And, um, you know, I think it takes some you got to get to know me to really understand who I am as a person. Um, And I understand that. But, you know, I think once people start to get to know me and realize that, there's, you know, I'm pretty, pretty mentally tough. Um, and there's not too much that can break me down like that. So that's, I think that's really the biggest trait that I think has helped me in this. You know, there was a lot of adversity coming in, you know, I have all these linebackers in front of me who, you know, are, are great players, you know, guys who have really been successful for the past, you know, however long, you know, D'Amico has been in for 10 years. Um, and you never know when your opportunity is going to come. And, uh, you know, I had no clue. I was focused on special teams. I was thinking I was going to do, uh, you know, be you know, four core teams guy. Um, but as soon as my number was called, you know, I felt like that opportunity that, you know, the, that mindset that I had uh, that, you know, nothing's going to nothing's going to hold me back from from making the most of this opportunity. And, and that's what I did. While you may have been in a personal hell, so to speak, during your times in college when you're going through this adversity? Was it in some ways a blessing in disguise to prepare you for what you were able to do as a rookie? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and you can you can look at it two ways. You know, you can, um, when you're going through it, you know, you can look at it as, as a hell for you and you can respond negatively or you can take it as something that you have to learn from, that you have to grow from. And that's how I took it as, you know, I had a lot of really good support, um, you know, behind me, um, next to me through, through every single time, everything, every single trial that I went through in college, you know, I couldn't have made it here by myself at all. Um, but one thing that was key was that I was able to, to have that mindset and, and really the, the mindset that coach Kelly has been talking about is that you learn from your mistakes, you get better, you continue to grow, you know, and have that growth mindset of, of getting better each day. And, um, you know, that's, I think that was the key um, to every single trial that I went through. Was it difficult for you not hearing your name or not getting the recognition that the guys like Shaq Thompson and Stephon Anthony and Eric Kendricks, the guys who were being mentioned as the top inside linebackers in the draft, was that difficult for you to not hear your name among those those top guys. No, nah, man, I knew it going in. I knew. I mean, I, I I had a feel for the situation. You know, my agent was straight up with me. Um, two seasoning injuries, you know, an off the field incident. You know, those those type of deals will knock you down quick. Um, no matter what type of senior year you have, and I understand that. Um, and those guys, those those players are good. They're good players. Um, 
there's nothing against you know I have nothing against them at all you know they're they're really good you watch the watch the tape they're they're solid so you know going in I I understood where I where I stand where I where I stood but yeah so we've heard how you're been compared to D'Amico Ryan's the, you know the Mufasa Simba that whole tie-in how are you different from him is there ever a moment where you're like man I'm nothing like D'Amico in this instance no man I'm trying to be like D'Amico I agree yeah that's not a bad thing it's not a bad thing whatsoever but <laughs> oh shoot as many, as many comparisons of D'Amico as I get I'll be happy yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to earn that spot you know it's he's a great player great great player great person um does things right you know and is a, is a really good role model for me to have here man he's he's you know he's one of a kind when did things start to click for you learning this defense Mm. Learning the defense. Let's see. I mean, I I could take it back to camp. I mean, I I had a pretty good feel. Training camp. Like, yeah. Okay. Going into training camp. I okay. mean, I had a pretty good feel of of everything going into training camp. You know, there's little tweaks here and um, here and there, but you know, getting through training camp, getting through preseason because those preseason games are huge. You know, you're playing every single snap, just about. Um, and learning, having you know, making a lot of mistakes, especially first time through, making a lot of mistakes, and and uh, you know, having a lot of tape to learn from, uh, which was big. So I think it it probably be throughout that time during the preseason. How did you mentally prepare yourself early in the regular season to know and understand the defense, even though you had, as we've have said before, D'Amico, Kiko, and Michael ahead of you on the depth chart, how did you still mentally prepare yourself and not allow yourself to get into that trap of, ah, I'm not going to be out there on defense. Let me just make sure I know special teams and, and make sure I'm the best at that. It's the game of football. You know, you, you've got to be prepared for every single opportunity. People are going to get hurt. People are going to go down. Um, and I understand that I've been on both sides of that. You know, my rookie year, my, my freshman year in college, you know that it, I was I was behind two guys who were solid NFL players right now, Acho and and Keenan Robinson with the Redskins. You know, um, injury happens, I I get thrown in the fire. You know, so I knew the time would come. I didn't know when. Um, definitely didn't expect it so early, but you know, obviously, I, like I said, I was I was ready. I had that mindset, like, and um, you know, I think that's what it, what it came down to. So, what was it like on the sideline? Week two, home opener, Kiko goes down, Michael goes down, and you're out there with D'Amico every snap from then on out. What was that realization like? Yeah, it went by. It it went by so fast, so fast. Um, kind of. I mean, it's it was kind of like a blur, man. I, for real, I look back and I'm like, eyes wide open, just you know, going and hitting the ball. You go go find the ball, go get it. You know what I mean? It's it's really what it was. I, I was it was fast. It was um, it was definitely unexpected. But if there's one thing about D'Amico, he br- he brings a presence to the field, you know, and he he has a way of keeping everybody calm. Whether you're a, a ten year vet or a first game rookie, you know, he made me feel calm, poised, you know, and and ready to play in that moment. Well, fast forward a few weeks. You don't even have D'Amico out there with you. You're pretty much playing 80%, 95 100% of the snaps each game. From there, you go to the Carolina game, the Dallas game, second Dallas game, there's no D'Amico. You are the man in the middle. You're the one making the calls. How did you assume or mentally assume that role so quickly? You know, I I think it's what I proved those first few games. Um making the calls, helping, you know, helping D'Amico, you know, showing my initiative to um, get in with D'Amico, ask D'Amico those type of questions on how he does certain things. Um, and, you know, I, I I think they they trusted the fact that I knew the system. And, um, you know, that, that that role is something that I enjoy. I've, I've said that to them since those pre-draft interviews. You know, that role is something I enjoy. I've been in that role since – year two in Texas, year three in Texas, um, you know, and, and really enjoy having that, that position. So, um, you know, I think that's something they see me, see me as, and see me being comfortable with. 
So what is that role when you are the man wearing the dot on the helmet? Take me through the process of what that entails. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes we huddle, sometimes we don't. If we do huddle, say, you know, if we're all huddled up, I'm the one in the middle giving, you know, with the with the mic in my ear and um, straight communication from the sideline, uh, giving everybody the call, telling them what to look for. You know, um, if, say we don't huddle, you know, we're all looking on the sideline. Um and the you know really what we call the, what we call the point it has to be set you know where's our defense set um, and that's on me you know that's that's on the Mike linebacker the one who's giving the call so uh, that's kind of that that process right there. Last question for you, Jordan. What do you want to prove the most going into year two now that you've had this wealth of experience as a rookie? That is consistent. You know it's 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 nice to have one year like this, um, but I want to have multiple. I want to have. Um, you know, I, w- I want to prove that I'm not just a rookie who had a really good season. Um, I want to be somebody who's staying in this league for a long time uh, because of the play, because of my smarts, um, you know, because of who I am on and off the field. Um, you know, that's that's really, you know, my focus moving forward. Jordan Hicks, thank you very much for joining us here on the Eagles Insider Podcast. Time to get ready for game day. It's time for enemy intel. And the Eagles don't have very long to get ready for game day as they have the short week here before the Thanksgiving game against the Detroit Lions. Fran, as we talk enemy intel here, the first name that comes to mind when you think of Detroit is Calvin Johnson, a Hall of Fame receiver one day. How are the Lions using him in their offense right now? And how similar is he to what the Eagles just saw in a guy like Mike Evans? You know, obviously, Calvin Johnson isn't quite playing at a level that we've seen in years past when he's been dominating the NFL. Still a, a very, very formidable threat on the outside. They line him up inside as well in the slot. They'll see Calvin Johnson lined up in those tight splits, you know, running crossing routes across the field. They do things to try and create situations where he's very, very tough to cover. So obviously has the size, has the ability to go up and win, can do a lot of different things as a blocker, is a good route runner for his size as well. So, you know, all those things that we've always seen from Calvin Johnson are still very much there. Has he maybe lost a step down the field? Sure. But the deep speed wasn't always the biggest thing that came with Calvin Johnson. Honestly, we've talked about it a little bit with one of our producers here, Chris Stevens, who knows a thing or two about being uh, futile as a cornerback and uh, trying to cover wide receivers. So let's let's hear something here from uh, from Chris Stevens. So really what I think is a main reason why he's so effective and something that's going to be really difficult for us is Calvin Johnson is a guy who even when he's covered, he is still not covered. You know, he has the size advantage over our corners. And, you know, after watching the game film last week, you can bet you that the offensive coordinator is going to be looking to expose that. Also, Megatron does a lot of like quick in routes, I guess you could say, and that's a route that Nolan Carroll has been exposed on a lot this season as well as Byron Maxwell. It looked very similar to the Terrence Williams touchdowns from the Cowboy game, and that's one of their favorite routes, and they're definitely going to be looking to expose that. Well, I will say that a lot of those quick slants have come on cover three as opposed to straight-up man coverage. Let me ask you this question, though. When you're a corner and you're going up against a, a receiver that has a, si- a size advantage on you, and you know you look back at that first touchdown that Nolan Carroll just gave up this past week against Mike Evans, I thought that he defended that ball in the end zone as well as he could possibly defend it. At some point, size is going to win. I agree, and, and that's going to be a big factor this week. It's just Nolan Carroll plays very, very tight coverage often, and sad to say that it could go that way. He could be in perfect position, play the ball perfect, but if the guy's bigger and the ball is placed where it needs to be, then there's a good chance Megatron's coming down with that ball. Chris Stevens, thanks very much for the input here on Enemy Show. Do you guys want to just keep going? No, I, I, can, I, we felt the need to bring you back in. You guys can do the rest of the segment. No. I'll just sit back and watch. <laughs> so we talked about the passing game for Detroit, and they're obviously a very pass-heavy team. In fact, I believe they are the worst running team in the NFL. I think they average somewhere around 70, 73 rushing yards per game, 32 out of 32 teams. They do have a couple of interesting names at running back, however, with Riddick and Abdullah. Abdullah, obviously a rookie. They use him a little bit more on special teams here. Yeah. But how do you see Detroit kind of mixing in their backs? Yeah, I mean, they're very much focused on the perimeter run game, too. A lot of stretch run plays. 
really the the big thing with both of those guys is out of the backfield as receivers and that, and that's where you're going to see them be most effective so you look at the screen game you look at them being able to run receive run routes out of the backfield riddick is a former receiver at the college level so he's got the ability to be flexed into the slot flexed out wide at times you'll see him run those little texas option routes out of the backfield they want to get him matched up on linebackers as much as possible and he just he he's able to win every single time just because he's so quick in and out of breaks he's got reliable hands and he's very good with the ball in his hands in terms of just his vision with the ball in his hands so very very tough guy to stop i mean he's their third leading receiver if i'm not mistaken just a guy that they move all over the place and that's theo riddick abdullah has those same abilities as well was a great receiver at nebraska those two guys while they may not be able to run the ball as strong and look the Eagles obviously can't play it against the run with the way they just did this past week, but this is still a formidable running back duo. Yeah, Abdullah had, I think it was a big opening week this year uh, when the Lions took on the Chargers. He's really kind of fallen off since then. I'm not sure if he's had like fumbling problems or why. I know he's had a couple, he has had a couple fumbles and, that, and that's kind of put him in the doghouse a little bit. I think right. more of their issue is that they're struggling to get a ton of movement up front as well. And, that, and that's part of their issue. Speaking of movement up front, the final place that we'll look here on enemy intel the lions front seven obviously dominican sue was the huge name there for years and then he signed that huge contract down in miami what kind of challenges do the Lions front seven present for the Eagles as they look to get their running game back on track? They've got a, got a lot of length and a lot of athleticism. So you look at guys like Ziggy Ansah, who, who went, I believe, the pick after Lane Johnson. He did. He draft. was number five. Yeah. So you have, you have Ziggy Ansah, who is long, he's athletic, <clears throat> explosive off the line of scrimmage. On the other, other side, you've got Devin Taylor, who was, a, I believe, a fifth or sixth round pick in that same draft out of South Carolina, built very similarly. I think he was listed 6'7", 245-ish coming out of college. So two big, long, athletic guys. They have Jason. And Jones inside, who's built in that same way. So you've got three guys who've got really long arms. They move really well. They're you know very uh, explosive off the ball. And then Holodinata is playing at a pretty high level right now. So Karan Reed, they mix in from Princeton. It was a mid-round pick. We saw him live at the Senior Bowl. You may remember BT. Uh, you know all these guys just have the ability to, to do a lot of different things. And they do some stunts up front. They line up in the wide nine a lot as well. So that's going to be the big challenge for the Eagles' offensive line is just dealing with this length and this athleticism up front. Jim Washburn's not there anymore, is he? In Detroit? Is he still there? Yeah, I thought so. I he's think he's still I'm the defensive sure line coach. Yeah. You said wide 90. It's not as it's not as common as maybe you would think, but they they'll run it a lot and, you know, even behind them. They've got athletic linebackers and Tulloch is as good a tackler as you're going to see in the NFL. It's a solid front 7. How do the Eagles attack that wide 9 if we do see that running wise? What's the strategy there? You know, I think that really the stress of playing the wide nine is that it forces your linebackers and safeties to be more responsible inside in the run game. The way that the wide nine works is you have those defensive ends out wide, which means when they're playing the run, they are responsible for everything outside, mm -hmm. which means somebody's got to be responsible <laughs> inside. So you put pressure on their safeties to be able to do that. So they've got two guys, you know, Glover Quinn is in one spot. Uh, and, you know, they put those safeties really just in a bind where, you know, they have to be wary of everything that's in front of them from a run game perspective. But then also behind, you've got the ability to kind of put those guys in a bind that way. So that's really where the stress comes from the wide nine front. Great stuff from Fran, as always, in Enemy Intel. We will see how things turn out on Thursday afternoon. Now we will transition into game time. Get out your scorecards. It's game time. Gentlemen, do you have your scorecards? Yes. You don't. I do. Don't worry. I provided one for you guys. It's in my mind. I Thank you. Uh, today's game is called M.I. Lion. See what I did there? It's kind of clever. Uh, we're going to go back to... <laughs> it's not that clever. Uh, we're going to go back to the Eagles' latest matchup, the most recent matchup with the Detroit Lions, which was, of course... The snowball. Oh, boy. So I have some trivia questions from that <laughs> is good. historic day, one of the most good. memorable games in Eagles history, and we'll see just how much you can actually remember from that game. So, C-Mac, we'll start with you. <laughs> Don't okay. sound too confident off no. the bat. C-Mac, the Eagles went on to win that game, of course, 34-20, to but Detroit actually led that game at halftime by a score of 8 to nothing. Am I lying? I think you're lying. I'm going to go your line on that one. But it wasn't an odd score because no one was kicking the extra points. I thought there was... Incorrect. Can I steal? You cannot steal because the only other <laughs> choice would be, yes, you're lying. You can't steal. It's a valid how, question. How did, how did the Detroit... The final, uh, at halftime, it was 8 nothing Detroit. They scored on a Joyke Bell touchdown run. And then on the two-point conversion, the conversion, it was a pass to Joyke Bell. So he actually scored the touchdown and got the conversion. Okay. So no points for C-Mac right. there. Fran, you're up next. Fran, the Lions scored not once, but twice 
on special teams plays. Am I lying? Uh, that is incorrect. You are lying. I am not lying. No, they did. Jeremy Ross. Yes. I do remember oh, Jeremy Ross. I could remember won. the returner. Yep. Had a punt return touch, a 58 yeah. yard punt return touchdown, and a 98 yard kickoff return yeah. touchdown. So no points for either of you guys in the first round of questions. C Mac, back to you. Okay. Nick Foles threw his first interception of that game, oh, first interception of the season geez. in that game. Am I lying? Was it his first pick of the season? Yes. Yes, it was. Now, bonus, who was it? Who, uh, that, who I thought. It see, I thought you, this was. I thought this was going to be the question. Uh, who it was? I'm going to say Glover Quinn. That is incorrect, mm. Fran. You can steal the bonus point here. Was it? Was it Darius Slay? Incorrect. Was it Rasheen Mathis? Yeah. Incorrect. Oh, that was the next one. Correct answer. Chris Houston. Chris Houston. Uh, I remember uh, the play vividly. Okay. Uh, bonus. Bonus question. He had one other pick that year. Who was it? Who else picked off Who Nick Foles that year? Oh, uh, no, that's not them. Come on, 27-2. and two. Classic season. Name the two. We already named one. A big hint here. This player is a former Eagle. We just talked about this last week. We oh. did, but Fran, didn't, Fran wasn't there was for it. Was it Kenny Phillips? No. It's <laughs> a good one. It was not Kenny Phillips. I'm having a hard time remembering. You talk, we did we, just talk about this like last week. I want to say it was Sean Prater. Sean Prater is correct. Oh, yeah, in the Minnesota game. Yeah. Yes, the Minnesota Because he knew it was coming. <laughs> uh, Fran, back to you. Yes. Eight touchdowns were scored in the game. Right. But no extra points were attempted. Am I lying? No, you are not lying. Oh, he's lying. Yes, I am lying. Man, I'm not good at this game. One extra point was attempted by the Lions, and the Eagles blocked, blocked it. it. You've got a great poker face. Great story. Compelling and rich. <laughs> Where did Akuna Matata come from? <laughs> you gotta Because it's the Lion King. Oh. I thought BT, oh. I thought BT just had I his just like, YouTube stretch, favorites. Yeah. <laughs> BT is just going crazy with the drops. Uh, it's a drop track. He just pushes one, and then like five others come out. Just opened up you can't, one can't put windows. the drops on shuffle. No points there for <laughs> Fran. C-Mac, back to you. The Eagles ran for 299 rushing yards as a team that day, and all three running backs, that would be LaShawn McCoy, Bryce Brown, and Chris Polk, scored touchdowns. Am I lying? Ooh, I don't recall Bryce Brown scoring a touchdown, so I'll say you're lying. You are absolutely correct. Yes, that is correct. Bryce Brown was the one back who did not score a touchdown, though he did punch in a two-point conversion. Oh, okay. So a point for C-Mac. C-Mac leads two to nothing. Fran, back to you. Fran, because the weather conditions were so bad, especially in the first half, Nick Foles ended up... I have the same question written twice. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, that's, a, that's a negative point for me. We'll move on to the next one for Fran. Fran, not even the snow could hold back Calvin Johnson on that day as Megatron still went over 100 receiving yards on the game. Am I lying? He did have that one catch, I do remember. But I will say you're lying. I am indeed lying. He did not go over 100 yards. He had that one big catch where he got the snow kind of stuck in his face mask. But he had three catches for 52 yards on the day. Next question, we go back to C-Mac. Again, weather conditions were so bad. C-Mac, the Lions fumbled the ball seven times as a team. Am I lying? Ooh, seven. They fumbled seven times. That's extraordinarily high, regardless. I I think you're lying. I am not lying. Stafford had a couple, right? How, Fran, you can steal if you can name how many fumbles Matt Stafford had. I'm going to say he had four fumbles. Five. Get it. Stafford had five fumbles. Wow. The Lions as a team only lost three of them, but they did have seven fumbles as a team. Okay. Uh, who are we at here? Are we on? Fran. Let's try not to repeat the question this time. I, I won't. <laughs> Fran, our old friend Deshaun Jackson hauled in a 19-yard touchdown pass, and he ended up being the Eagles' leading receiver on the day with count them, 59 yards. Am I lying? Yes, you are lying. Who was the Eagles' leading receiver on the day? Mm. I want to say it was Riley Cooper. Correct. Wow. That's the a... smartest man alive. That is true. Very, very nice. I just done. remember the Jackson touchdown celebration where he was kicking the snow up. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say either Riley or, or Selleck. Because he had the slide. He had a big one. But Riley had that huge one down the field. Yeah, the, over, the over the shoulder. That was the one that really sparked him. Right. right. That was the first thing and that got remember, him And remember, he played baseball in college. He was drafted <laughs> by the Phillies. 
<laughs> we haven't talked about that in a while. No. <laughs> Felt the need to bring it up. I was uh, going. Yeah, Riley Cooper led the way with 74 receiving yards for the Eagles on that day. All right, one question left, and it goes to C-Mac. This is tied up right now. It's tied at two. So if C-Mac gets this, he wins, even though Fran got cheated of a question here because I wrote the same one down twice. So you're a, you're a liar, and C-Mac is a cheetah. So we'll let that go. I had to, get, I had to sneak the pun in somewhere. Jeez. Thank you. We have a, we have a drop Thank for you. that, BT. I'm here all week. Anyway. Okay, C-Mac, if you get this right, you win. As bad as the snow was, it did let up a little bit in the second half. Okay. And the Eagles took advantage as they scored touchdowns on five straight possessions. Am I lying? No. C-Mac for the win. Nicely done. The Eagles did indeed score on five straight possessions, and it really was their last five unless you count the final one when he Brent Selleck it was a, would have scored. He was running out the clock. But he had the epic slide. Great picture, snow coming up. Not a bad job. I guess you guys remember the snow bowl pretty well. Uh, good job, guys. All right, let's move on to uh, mailing it in. Captain, incoming message. Please check your mailbox. A new message has arrived. And now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in our segment, Mailing It In. I like the musical transition. Yeah. That, like you expect it to be open. so serious. Check your mailbox. And it's just this. It's like, yeah. It's kind of nice. All right. Through the question out there on Twitter or the uh, request for your questions, I should say. And yeah, I had a good feeling of what was going to come our way. Some spirited responses. Of course. But you know what? Fans will care. Rather have this than complete apathy where it's like, who cares? You know, whatever at this point. So first one, uh, I'll go with this one. It comes from at X Lillard on Twitter. Wants to know... How much time do you give until Billy Davis is gone? Chip Kelly said in his press conference Monday that he's not going anywhere. And, you know, it was a bad game plan. I don't know. Bad execution. Yeah. You've watched the tape, so. I'm a Billy Davis fan. And I'm not, you know, I know some people, oh, you work for the team. I think Bill Davis is a very good defense coordinator. So I, I think that he's done a really good job, especially, look, uh, the, the situations that the defense has been put in this year because of some of the issues that the offense has had. You know, I, I think Bill Davis is a very good defense coordinator. I would not be looking to let him go by any stretch of the imagination. No. There's some things like, could they have blitzed Winston Moore and things of that nature? But you Winston know, the, has struggled with underneath coverage. Like, yeah. that's, what, that's been his thing. It's not necessarily like being confused by blitz. It's more, has he been confused by underneath coverage? That's been the source of his interceptions this year. I think that, you know, it's a little bit short-sighted for Eagles fans to be this outraged over Bill Davis. I think the Eagles defense said four recent not great games, four bad games as of late, with Carolina, Dallas, and then Miami and Tampa Bay, especially rushing-wise. The rushing defense hasn't been very good in those last four games. But before that, the defense was the talk of this team. They were coming up with turnovers, almost three a game, which was their target that they set before the season started. The run defense was shutting people out. And the secondary was making strides. You know, Obviously, they added so many new pieces into that secondary. So I think the defense was really coming along. And then you know, the past four games or so, they haven't played at their top level. And people are calling for Bill Davis. I think he's fine. I think, like Fran said, I think he's a, he's a very good defensive coordinator. All right. The next one comes from at the kid underscore. What kind of cap hit will there be if Byron Maxwell and DeMarco Murray are released in the offseason? You know, some of these moves, look, with Byron Maxwell, you need a cornerback going into the season. All right. You know, I don't know. To answer the question itself, I don't know exactly what it is. I, I don't know either. I'm not a cap person. I know those. That's why I never get too crazy about the, those long term numbers because you never. They never really mean. It never really means anything. Yeah. You don't know what that actually means. You figure short term, yes. Should sure. be huge in the short term. But nonetheless, though, still, you know, going back to that time of year, this is the guy everyone wanted at corner. You need to replace the starting corners. Right. I think that. Everyone kind of says, oh, well, you overpaid for this position. You overpaid for that position. Well, guess what? That's how you do that's it. Where, that's where, and, and, ever, and then, but then on the same token, people complain that they didn't overpay for people in the offensive line or they didn't overpay for Jeremy Macklin. You know, that's what you do in free agency. You have to overpay at certain positions. They made it a priority to get secondary help. I mean, that was, that was a priority going into the offseason. Everyone remembers last year. What, what was the issue? Secondary. It was the, it was the mm-hmm. secondary. I mean, you went out and you paid for the best corner on the market. That's what you had to do. Specifically about Maxwell, I think some of the criticism that's coming towards him is fair but i will also say that i think he's playing better than most people think agree you know he's had the yeah. few plays that stand out here or there but that happens with cornerbacks but i think where he's come from that first game against julio jones in atlanta i think he's come a long way and people are going to again they're going to go back to that contract and say well he should be a shutdown corner there's not many shutdown corners in this league so i think he's been playing better than most people think but some of the criticism is still warranted do you see revis get toasted by uh, deandre hopkins 
I did. I, I saw the one-handed catch. That I mean, it, it ha- I'm just saying it happens to everyone. The problem with Maxwell is it happened in those first two games. Right, right. The game against Julio, and then that long touchdown to put the Cowboys game away in Week Two at home. I think those memories are seared in the fans' minds at this point. So, and the way the season's gone, it's not like it's been easy to overcome it. Next one, I'll go with this one from at Jesper Hagen. Why don't the Eagles use the one-two punch with Murray and you know Matthews in this case Sproles because Matthews is hurt? Why aren't they used more? I think the Eagles are utilizing the the running backs as much as they can. Yeah, Matthews wasn't healthy this week, obviously. Well, he said that's why he said Sproul. So whoever the number two back would be, that's, like you mean, like at the same time? Maybe it's more of the same time. It just says basically it's it's like the wide receivers aren't producing. Why not use the two running backs more? So I don't know if it's in the same pack, maybe right. on the field at the same time. That's something that's listen. I I think part of it too with the with the receivers is there are a lot of plays that don't happen because whether the quarterback just didn't throw the ball or whether pressure forced the quarterback to not throw the ball. I mean, there are, there are plays that are, that are there to be had for the receivers where the ball just doesn't get out. And like, and like I said, it could be for a number of different reasons, and it just doesn't happen. So, I mean, it, it, it is what it is. And it, all those cases are all individual you know, situations that you, kinda, kinda, you have to take it as a play-by-play uh, situation. But I, I don't know. It's, it's tough. Here's a good one from uh, our friend at Eagles Troll. Rub-a-dub-dub, three Eagles insiders in the tub. Who's to blame for the repeated rub coverage failure all day Sunday? That's a disturbing image. (laughs) Well, we were in the the shower earlier. Earlier this year. Yeah, the the Saints game. (laughs) Forgot about that. (laughs) No, 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 no. We were. (laughs) All right, guys. You like that? You like that? I, I don't. Well, with the rub, so with the with those rub concepts, <laughs> I forgot what the question. Was. <laughs> I remember. Okay, I remember. With those rub concepts, I mean, there were there were a couple of different things. One, there was the touchdown that they gave up. I think it was the third one. I think it was the one that the made twenty one fourteen. Awesome play design by Tampa Bay because you saw how the Eagles were defending it down in the red zone a week ago against Miami. Those two plays that Malcolm Jenkins won, he broke up. The second mm-hmm. one where he would have if Barwin didn't knock it up in the air and ended up being a touchdown for Jarvis Landry. They expected that kind of – and look, every team mixes it up, and the Eagles do mix it up. Sometimes they pass off those rub concepts where one guy if one guy will take whoever runs inside, another guy will take whoever runs outside. Other times they, they follow their men. They, you know, they change it up. They expected uh, one type of coverage. They got that type of coverage, and it was an easy touchdown for Russell Shepard. There were a couple plays later on in the game towards the middle of the field where they lined up an empty, and Charles Sims lined up on the outside, and they lined up a receiver on the inside. Maxwell and Kendricks, it was both, both times it was Maxwell and Kendricks. One time they said, okay, we're going we're gonna to in and out this, and Maxwell thought that he was passing a guy off to Kendricks. Kendricks followed his man in outside, so nobody covered the guy inside. So there was a mix-up there and, and miscommunication. And then the next time, they both followed, but they got picked. And then, and then that's where the, the rub element comes in. Look, I mean, it's that's why offenses run those plays, is to try and catch defenses and miscommunication or catch defenses with that rub element. Well, there you have it. Uh, last here question go. here. Hey, you asked and uh, Frank answered. Last one here from at Ryan4301. If the season continues and the team finishes with a pick in the top 10, will they pick a quarterback? And if yes, who? I mean, we should say this for a journey to the draft. We should. I hope that you send questions in for the journey to the draft podcast presented by AAA. Please do. It's so far off in the future right now. It's, there's still six games left to play. Oh, yeah. No question. This, this is what happens after a two-game losing streak. Yeah. Thank you very much for uh, checking out another edition of the Eagles Insider Podcast again. Remember to comment and like us on iTunes, uh, Stitcher. Let us know what you want to hear on the podcast down the line. And another plug for uh, the Eagles online healthy food drive, yougivegoods.com, keyword Eagles, help others in need this holiday season. So for our producers behind the scenes, Brian Thomas and Chris Stevens, for Fran Duffy and Alex Smith, I'm Chris McPherson. Thank you very much for joining us. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday, and we will be back next week.